So hi everyone, welcome to Architecture in the Den. Uh, today we've got a special Shiro's theme um, and because we're launching our Shiro's on the 12th to the 14th of May and I'm delighted Catherine Davis is going to join us as a speaker on that. But today Catherine is joining Architecture in the Den as a speaker. So in the first instance, welcome to Architecture in the Den. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Well, hello and thanks for inviting me. Um, I My superhero name is Stealth and uh, the photo you have is with me with sunglasses. I will now take them off because I can't see anything. You know. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, I, I live in the US. Um, I have a funny accent because it's half UK, half US. So you'll have to forgive me if I stray from one uh, language to the other. Um, I uh, was trained in the UK. I am American and I, in my early career, I decided I wanted to try to work in the US. So I came back um, and it's been an interesting journey. I, I started uh, working at the park service and I can go into that another time, but uh, that's where I gained my stealth powers. Um, and I can um, talk about that as we get into the podcast, but Right now, uh, did I mention that I was the America's rep for the RBA Council? So I represent all of the um, the register of the all the architects, students, everybody um, who are in the north and south um, hemispheres of uh, America. Uh, so well thanks for coming on today and we're going to be talking about the skills of listening as an architect right so why do you think listening is a superpower so tying that into our shiro's theme so why is list, listening a superpower well um as you said in your intro um setting pride aside um <laughs> Uh, a pride road. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, face clients and colleagues with openness. And I think as um, ladies, uh, we are particularly good with that. We let we put ourselves right out there and we are open to being vulnerable and and we put our the, the importance, it's very important to put the idea of self aside and, and be humble. Um, and so I think that uh, success is solving the client's problem. And so you have to hear it, hear it clearly. So you have to listen. Mm, I, I like that a lot. Success is, um, yeah, is solving the client's problem. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I love, yeah, I, I really resonate with that message about kind of leaving self behind and leaving ego behind. And I think where I've done a couple of pieces, a couple of blogs about kind of modest design. Right. I mean, a lot of times design. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Quiet, um, which is the 
superpower of stealth. Mm. So um, I, for an example, you know, if you think of what's, what is stealth? Well, if you think of a stealth aircraft that flies undetected, however, it's extremely effective. Um, it isn't detected by the radar. Um, and when, it, when you apply this specifically with working with historic preservation, which is how I started, um, or an old house that has character, uh, you really want to discover the integrity of what is there before and, and help the client um, move into the current, uh, his or her current needs. And sometimes I feel I'm successful uh, if no one knows I was there. Mm. So a kind of like custodials, temporary custodials of the house. Right. Or the clients are temporary custodials of the house. Right. Not, not you know, complete historic res restoration being true to what the, the, the original was, but adapting the original to the current client and, and the current owner. Mm -hmm. So have you got any examples of where you've learned from experience with your designing by style? Well, um, I, being, you know, a, a single practitioner uh, and starting as a, my own practice, one has to start small, as you know. Um, and so it happens that you're, you're, you're brought in to do a kitchen or an extension or to fix up a house. And um, in one case, uh, the, the house was completely disheveled. I mean, it was falling down. In fact, we have a program here where uh, on TV where they, they fix up old houses and uh, they bring in contractors and you watch it. You probably, you know, I think you have design, whatever it is, uh, used to start. It used to be like that, although your design programs have become more ambitious now in the UK. Um, but uh, most people thought it was a teardown. Um, but my client liked the idea that he didn't want to build a new house. He didn't want to have, he wanted a stealth house. He did not want to have a statement of here's my new home, I am rich. So we, we spent as much money, if not more, uh, first creating, building the inside of the house and then taking down the outside of the house and building the outside of the house. And, and really um, it fit right in because no one really knew that it was a brand new house, but it was designed by stealth. Um, and I know I'm successful if, if the uh, if the assessors come in and they say, oh, my goodness, they don't build houses like they used to. And I and <laughs> and say, oh, no, no, they don't. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're sort of similar, similar here. I think I remember my um, my second house that we lived in. It was a Victorian terrace um, in Chalton um, and it looked really modest from the front. So it's a mid terrace, you know, you had to go down a, an alley to get down to the back of the backyard, back garden. And um, it just looked like a two story from the front, you know, ground floor and first floor. 
and actually it was four stories so <clears throat> kind of like as most a lot of victorian terraces it was kind of like split level down to the kitchen and then cellar underneath and attic on top but and so it was a was it a four bedroom house but it just looked so modest from the front and i just love that i love that you know you walk in and you open it up and you know it's it's uh it's it's your it's your private private space is that public private thing mm. in a in a new situation um if you think about some of the uh designs and i have i have made these designs i haven't actually built one as yet but one that is set into the hill so you don't really see mm. uh what it is or a grass roof or um uh something that really blends in the landscape and and doesn't stand out mm, mm. Is, it, that is in a new build can can be almost as effective yeah i mean I'm, i might be controversial here but do we do we think that that's a a, a female skill um you know <laughs> It's it does I mean it's it's not something a topic I've ventured onto on my podcasts, but um, you know, is there a difference? I mean, it'd be really interesting actually. I guess we can't generalize at all, but you know, maybe to take a poll or do a little survey or something like that. It's like it might be that we're more willing to do that. Mm. Um, you know if there's nothing redeeming in the site or the property there is more scope for a big idea mm. that can carry the project and um you know i think we all have feminine and masculine qualities mm. to us and i think a masculine quality whether it's portrayed by a female or not would say well let's have a big idea and that will that will be a standout design that will carry the project whereas a female might quality that a man might have would be yeah. uh, let's be modest i mean the, 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 this is a this is interesting because it you know it, in pride road we talk you know it's a franchise offering and um so we're offering um the opportunity to to run your own architectural practice as kind of like a pride road partner so with our support and we find that, you know, it, it was set up to help kind of working mums mm. um, kind of just retain, stay in architecture um, and use the skills that they've worked bloody hard to, to, right. to earn. Um, and, but one of our, the limiting factors is kind of like, there's a lot of limiting beliefs, especially after you've had kids, you know, it's that confidence thing. Um, yeah so i wonder if there's a confidence how how does ego play into confidence and how interlinked are they and are they important you know can you can you be confident without an ego i think so i think that mm. um, you find that people sort of are loud and boisterous if they're trying to convince themselves that they mm. that they uh, can do something I think that being a mother, I mean, what could be more, more important than being a mother mm. or a father, bringing mm. up a child? Mm. And, and, and I think the experience of, of motherhood or fatherhood is, it can do nothing but contribute to us being better architects and better listeners. 
Absolutely. I mean, just the things that I've learned through um, just, you know, kids and stuff. Um, you know, it, certainly about home, place, city, town, mm-hmm. you know, just how, you know, sort of you've, you have a, you've got a kid and each time you go through a different kind of life stage mm-hmm. with, with your babies, which, which, you know, are kind of uh, very quick. It's like every five months or something, they kind of like, they, they do new things. You've got different sets of challenges. The house has different sets of challenges, the street, the parks, the places, the city, you know, the transportation. And then you've got that through the whole of our life cycle. And then, yeah, definitely. Well, I think that's a wonderful thing, having a franchise. Um, that's a very uh, American idea, actually, to mm. have a franchise. Um, I, I hope you uh, open up in the US. <laughs> um, well, I, I, am, I am looking for a, um, a master franchise or if, you, mm. if anyone's listening oh. who might want to get in touch. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think that having your own business as a mother is the only way to go because you can give attention to your business and attention to your children and you can you're your own boss Mm. so you can hire people when you need to give uh, attention to your children and um, you can uh, I mean to your to your business and you can do the important things Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Children. I remember you said to me um, offline, we were talking about uh, a sandwich. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I well, that's, that. my, that's my mother was a professional lady. She was a composer and a musician. And that was her line. I think life is a sandwich. You do a lot and you get yourself all set. And then you take a little break and you start with the family. And then you come back roaring, and she did. But in actual fact, she never took a little break. <laughs> <laughs> but that was her her line, yeah. yeah. And I think it actually is a good line. And as long as you keep your hand in, whether it is um, while you're having a family, if you do yeah. your, you know, fix up your own house or keep up with uh, techniques yeah. or keep up with building products. Mm. We have friends that are architects that you could join in and maybe do a little, um, you know, a break from changing the nappies and um, and mm. and doing the, the the dinner to have a, an afternoon a week where you work in someone else's office. Mm. I think what um, I think first child I took four months off because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. Second child I realised that that was a bit too short and took six months off. <laughs> um third child I it was a recession so I thought I'd take a year off and allow allow the economy to stabilize but I, at that point I was actually chair of women in women in property northwest oh wow so you weren't actually taking a year off you were becoming a property <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> it was like well you know that was more about networking and business yeah. development and yeah. And, you know, I, I, th- I think what was great then was, you know, he was my third child and I was confident with the baby. So, you know, I could take him into a business meeting and, you know, 
push him round in a push chair and it was probably a pretty I think in hindsight it was a pretty good baby um you know and um and enjoy it and so really for me the networking was kind of enjoyable it was like you know a social social side but right. at the same time you're building your connections yeah <laughs> I I think that's awesome I I had maybe I didn't take my ch children to business meetings but I did take them onto construction sites I mean I, mm -hmm. each child in fact each child I was involved as a witness in court case it just seemed every pregnancy I had to give depositions or I had to give expert witness <laughs> this oh oh I'm going to have a court case I mean, I'm pregnant I'm I, there's going to be a court case <laughs> so I learned a lot about building law and um a development law um mm. and uh also um the it's great for the kids to um to be on construction sites as long as you can keep them safe I and mean, i coming from a background as a student building adventure playgrounds i can i i saw how valuable it was for children to build things mm. whether they end up in the building trades or in architecture or some other field it's good for them to see three dimensions and how they go together and how things are made mm. Not, we don't just go to the supermarket and buy things people say oh you have to see a farm and see where things come from well you have to see how things are made what what did what do your kids do now oh uh they in the well actually <laughs> one of my one of my children is designs yachts so that's uh, very well there you go so yeah that's interesting yeah yeah and they, all, they all are designing things in their own way but i would yeah. say my oldest who had yeah. probably the was more, most closely associated with building is yeah is very that, much well that, that that's what yeah my youngest is uh is 11 and he, he says he wants to be an aeronautical engineer <laughs> design design yeah the other two were like not interested in the slightest <laughs> <laughs> well aeronautical engineering is where it's going to go i mean he'll be doing remember when we were in uh, i don't know whether when you were at school you you were obsessed with airships but it seems like when i was at architecture school we were obsessed with airships well it's not so far from the truth mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. well that's certainly on the um shiro's conference we've got some uh simone de gaulle's going to be talking about uh uh in interplanetary architectural design so that's going to be interesting right a... getting back onto our topic <laughs> <laughs> do you see how these conversations go now the stealthy conversation no <laughs> there is a, there is actually um david nixon has written a book on space he was an architect and he designed he did work on the um a space station mm. and uh, designed architecture in space. So that has, you know, that's already happened. And so going forward, yay, Simone. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so coming back to our topic on listening. So right. listening helps gain client loyalty, but the, re the reality is it can still be a struggle. Any thoughts about what UK architects can learn about what's going on in the US? 
Well, um, there's two parts of this. Yes, um, UK architects, I think it's, it's, it's a different language. It's the same language, but it's a different language. Mm. We have different, you know, we, we work in feet and inches a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, we have tremendously great fire codes and you're going through a fire situation now with a certain tragedy, which we all know about. We, we learned early on from our fire in Chicago and New York when the cities were just devastatingly uh, destructive and loss of life. And so we have um, a very good system in which the fire departments supervise and approve from the smallest addition up to a high rise building. They, they are totally involved mm -hmm. and you have to keep your drawings uh, with them so that they know how to fight that fire if they need to. And if you do a renovation, if it's more than 50% of the existing building, you have to meet the current fire codes and they're always updated every, mm. every few years, um, very high standard. Um, I can give you examples, but um, just in a general way. So is that a national thing? No, well, there is a national fire code, but each state, this is the, this is the thing that you learn coming to this country. There's, there's 52 states. Mm. And each state is its own little country. Mm. Um, not quite as bad as the EU, but, but almost because each state license, licenses its architects and its engineers and has its fire. Uh, and not only that, but each town has, has its fire department and licenses and has its own code. They may, there's several different codes um, and some towns have one code and some towns have another. They're very similar. It's mostly the, the national building code, um, but they could, and for instance, if there's a building um, control officer who doesn't want to upgrade to the new code, he'll say, no, I'm designing all my, I'm having all my approvals of this 1978 Boca code, which I had to deal with once. I had to dig up an old copy of a code because some things had changed. Mm. Uh, it wasn't necessarily that they had become more stringent. Some mm. things might have become less stringent, but he was gonna retire in a couple of years and he had no intention of learning a, a, a new code. So um, each jurisdiction has its own little uh, uh, approvals and um, you have to get used to that. And being, being licensed in the US is, is an interesting journey. Mm. <laughs> um, and we're going to um, hopefully have a reciprocal agreement um, with, uh, with the ARB, NCARB and the ARB with about 35 states. That still leaves a few extra, but- So does the NCARB cover the 35 then? Yeah, um, I'm not sure if it's 35 or 32, but it does, it will include California, which is good. What's it, will not, it does not include New York. Okay. New York is, uh, has its own. In fact, you have to become licensed in New York as a, as a standalone thing. It's a, they have their own rules, completely mm. separate. They do so not recognize- So each time do you have to go and set exams every time you want uh, to- 
Yeah, they may have that. I mean, for instance, in California, you'll have to set an additional um, seismic exam um, and study for that, understand earthquakes. Uh, but at least all of your part three um, legal and um, after you've worked, I'm not sure how long they're going to, what the actual terms of the agreement may be, but um, um, they will accept most of what you have as a part three qualified architect. I mean, what I, I've always been um, sort of, I, I've always thought that there was a huge discrepancy between kind of like the States and, and over here and then um, in the UK. But I think what, just pulling together this sheer rows of architecture conference, mm -hmm. I think what I've just realized is just um, the feelings in the industry are just international, just, well, certainly around kind of uh, sort of female empowerment and, Sort of issues that we face but um it it's um i think it's really good to see the similarities between exa you know the exams in the states and our exams over here well yeah i mean you don't want to do the exam in the states because it's going to test you on parts one and part two and 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 it's on a computer so if you if you want to learn about if you want to be tested on plumbing on the computer, that's yes. that's kind of like what the exams are. So, yeah. so um, in actual fact, we can learn from each other. Mm. Uh, I do know, having talked to NCARB, that they're very impressed with how um, part three architects are trained and mm. are willing to accept our, our qualifications. And once, once ARB gets it together, uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to have a great collaboration, which, mm. um, which really, we can learn from each other. I mean, there is a lot that being in architecture school for five to seven years, um, depending on your program in the, in, in, in the, in the UK, um, is different because in the US, your specific uh, architecture training at school is only three years, although you've already had an undergraduate degree, but it could be in uh, English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we we come out in the same in the end when we when we become qualified. Um, but um, in the beginning, it's it's a learning process, and and I think the mobility issue is very important. So how does that work in the state? So um, what's the youngest you could qualify at? Let's see. I mean, depends when you start university. So you have four years at university. Mm. Um, say you you start at eighteen, so that's twenty two. Then you have another two to three years in architecture. So that's 25. And then you have to uh, have a two years working or you could have two years in between working, but you have to have, be working while, you know, after you're qualified. Mm -hmm. So um, they, they really count the skills that you're learning in undergraduate uh, university. Right. Um, so is that what writing like? and yeah. Uh, oh, okay. So See, we, in the UK, we do A-levels or whatever it is now. I mean, yeah. I did A-levels. Um, 
And so, you know, a maths A level is is pretty it comes high up in how you what you do in university in in mm. the US. Mm. It's a much more generalized education and you don't and you don't specialize until you're you're uh, 22. I mean, a doctor um, has the same problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, we're actually coming to the end of the conversation, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Is there anything oh, wow. you want to... I know. <laughs> is there anything you want to ask me before we close up? Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is a marvellous thing you're doing with these um, podcasts. And uh, I think it would be great to um, try and do something over here uh and i'm i'm going to try and talk to um the powers that be that we could mm -hmm. uh, arrange such a thing i think that would be marvelous Absolutely. the more we can learn from each other the more we can collaborate across borders will promote professional mobility which is one of my big things you know mm -hmm. uh, architects being able to move across borders Mm -hmm. And also, maybe in between different different careers, not necessarily just uh, just building buildings, which brings us into my next talk, which will be in May. <laughs> that sounds brilliant. But yeah, I th I think um, or this podcast has evolved out of out of COVID, really. Just yeah. um, I I started doing this um i think it was for the riba elections when i thought i, I was going to right. you uh, yeah i saw simon being interviewed that's um, right that's yeah. right so that was that they were the first i think he might have been my first one so i did simon and samita singer uh, valeria Passetti, jude barber and then i just after that i carried on i just thought they were um interesting and i mean to be honest it it was a marketing exercise it's an out outreach you know mm -hmm. business you know it's a, it was a business decision or business um experiment that um i've enjoyed and i think is 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 growing and and uh it's sort of successful um so, I mean, for me, it was about um, sort of linking Pride Road with kind of the architecture profession and trying to build up our presence as an as an expert in our, in the field, she says, with a danger lady background. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, Lisa, I think that um, you're a great businesswoman, and I think that's one of the skills that architects need. And you, I think that's what you need to teach uh, to to uh, to us ladies is how to and and bring in experts in business mm. um, to 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 know how to promote yourself. It might not just be um, on you know doing the business of architecture. It might be doing other things that are related to architecture, mm -hmm. and uh, which is another part of professional mobility. Mm. on that note i think i'm gonna thank you very much for coming on um thank you. Thank you we me. will continue the conversation and at sheer rose of architecture 12th to the 14th of may right. um, so to everyone out there listening thanks for listening to architecture in the den if you enjoyed this podcast please like it 
comment and subscribe. And if you really like it, you can share it. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, um, this is also available on uh, as a podcast on Spotify, Alexa, Google or Siri. And likewise, if you're listening, you can actually see us in real life, in real life, virtually. <laughs> <laughs> on Who knows if this is real? Who knows? We might, just be, we might just be a bot. We might just be created by uh, yeah. a program. I think this is one of those things. It's like, certainly, I know, I'm di digressing from my out um, blurb, but um, this is definitely one of those things in, in lockdown, right? Because we've met now like three, two, three, four times virtually. And we're just going <laughs> to... Is this it? No. <laughs> you know, and are, are we ever going to meet in real life? <laughs> well, I, well, I am actually due in, in, in London in June. Are you? I oh, am. Okay. Oh, yeah. Don't know, don't know how far I'll be Let able to get out of London. Yeah. Let me know. I'm, I'm thinking of coming down half term in the first week. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> don't know if this is part of our thing but i do I, i'm very I'm near the music i am still recording but oh. <laughs> i'm not finished yet i've not switched the off button <laughs> oh dear. we'll carry on that in a minute right so, back to my out so um yes if you liked what you've heard and you'd like to be a podcast guest if you want to talk about architectural business of architectural business you can message me on twitter facebook instagram linkedin at lisa rains or through our website www.prideroadfranchise.co.uk and come and find me on clubhouse as well okay all right well bye everyone and see you bye. next time <laughs>